Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Jillian Flowers of Midlothian, Virginia. Jillian will get a marathon decal showing that she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Kate Casey. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership, and today we're looking at SVU Season 4, Episode 11, Damaged. That bastard gave them both gonorrhea! No, Mr. Kurtz, he didn't. Joey never had it. Oh, my God. Missy gave it to Rebecca. Oh, my God! Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On, HGTV, and me, and Slate's mom and dad are fighting, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Kevin. I'm so excited to talk to you about one of the most disgusting episodes of SVU ever. Thank you for having me on to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 do we need to do this while you're on an empty stomach? or We could come back to it. <laughs> I've got wine. It'll be fine. Well, let's bring in our special guest for today's podcast from the Reality Life podcast. It's comedian and author Kate Casey. Hi, Kate. Thank you for having me. This is equally one of the most depressing episodes I've ever seen and probably put me into a manic depression. But thank you for having me. <laughs> My God, I feel really bad now. <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Time got, the, it's time for the disclaimer. Can you you, you the guys disclaimer? know these are f- fictional detectives <laughs> investigating fictional sex crimes fictional against disgusting crimes. fictional victims who all got paid union scale and went home the next day. You got to remember, I'm watching The Real Housewives, Flora, Bama Shore, 90 Day Fiance, Married at First Sight, and then you throw me throw this my way. I'm like, holy crap balls. Okay. Right, right. Well, people love, you know, reality TV for those over-the-top melodramatic moments, but right. SVU fans also love the episodes that are nuts. I mean, do you think, Kate, that we've just become a nation of, oh, no, she didn't? Well, I feel like the show is, has been on since 1964. So after all these yeah. seasons, you've just got to up the ante, right? I like all those shows that they ran that were pre-Miranda rights. That's right. That's right. <laughs> pre Roe v. Wade. Right. Now, Kate, your website is called loveandknuckles.com. Correct. Yes. Uh, Why did you put those two images together? I started writing uh, eight years ago after the birth of my first child, and my friend said, you need to write what you know, which at the time was my obsession about pop culture. And I immediately thought of 
the absurdity of pop culture. And I went to a boarding school in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and there was a girl that lived on my hall who had this really weird dad. He would show up to pick her up for visiting. And even though it was the 90s, he would wear butterfly collar shirts and bell bottoms. And she would tell me these crazy stories. Like at Christmas time, he would give them posters of New Kids on the Block, and he would forge all the signatures on the poster as if he (laughs) obtained the signatures. (laughs) And she was horrified by him. I found him so endearing. I had secretly hoped that he would adopt me and we could take that show on the road. So I find crazy people hilarious, and that's sort of what it was born out of, because he used to sign letters to them, Love and Knuckles Dad. So that's sort of where it came from. And I probably should change the branding issue, obviously. (laughs) But um, I just haven't done that because I have four children under eight. So I will get there at some point. Yeah, it has a real S and M vibe too when you right. take it has a little, it literally. Yeah, it has a little bit of like an anti Me Too vibe, which I, you know, I think you should just run with it, Kate. Just like wait, like ride the storm brand. out. That's a good point. In the Me Too days, <laughs> should I have Love and Knuckles as my website? Probably not. Kate, uh, do you have a favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Well, I'll tell you this. I think Chris Maloney. And I think Mariska Hargitay secretly at some point of the show definitely got it on because there <laughs> is definitely a sexual chemistry between those two. And I'm not buying for a minute that they were totally platonic friends this entire time. Hmm. Mm, but you mean the, the actors or like the fake people? I think in real life, they definitely did a little bump and grind. That's my. Oh, wow. All that's right. what I, I believe at some point that happened. Rich, was it, was his name Richard Belzer? Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I yeah. like yeah. him. I, I I dig his sarcastic vibe because I'm from the East Coast, so I kind of dig that. Okay, do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I can't say I have a favorite, but I will say Bobby Flay's ex-wife, Stephanie March, has a fantastic <laughs> body that I wish that I had. She's good. <laughs> Bobby Flay's ex-wife is Stephanie March. Is that true? That's true. I didn't know that. They had a horrible divorce, and if you Google it on page six, she said he was basically screwing her out of money. He gave her like he left her with a couple marbles. Wow. Yeah. I love having a reality show person on this <laughs> podcast. We do this every week. They know real shit. Every yeah. week, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now let's look at the first half of this episode, Ugh. SVU Season 4, Episode 11. Hold on, let me get a rag. I may vomit a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is called Damaged. I re- remember, we're going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating fictional sex crimes against fictional people. So if you find that especially heinous, you should probably listen to another one of our podcast episodes. <laughs> Can I record another one of our podcast episodes? Yeah. <laughs> And if you find that especially heinous, you probably shouldn't be watching SVU. (laughs) True. We start on a sidewalk with a girl begging her boyfriend not to break up with her when he's killed by a stray bullet. So those two are never, ever, ever getting back together. (laughs) A video store clerk has shot a robber who shot six-year-old girl Becca in the crossfire. The child is brain dead, but they discover that she has gonorrhea. After talking to her older adopted sister, Missy, SVU turns its attention to the adults in her life, including her father, Mr. Kurtz. Dad agreed to the gonorrhea test? And he told me to shove it, but under the circumstances, I might have said the same thing. Your gut says he's clean? He came across as a devoted family man. Quit his job so he could stay home with the kids. Wish I could do that. The parents want to pull the plug and donate her kidneys to a boy in Philadelphia, But Alex intercedes in court to keep Becca on life support. They say without a proper exam, they can't prove that the girl was raped after she dies, which is odd because that's exactly what they do in the first 10 minutes of every other fucking episode. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Overnight, Becca dies anyway. 
The boy gets his liver, and the exam shows that Becca had been raped multiple times, so everybody wins. Oh, God. Kill me. (laughs) Becca's pediatrician says he never tested the six-year-old for the clap, but sister Missy tested positive for gonorrhea. When confronted, Missy says it was her boyfriend, Joey Field, who raped them both. He was the clerk in the video store, and he told her to bring Missy into the store. He's also friends with the dead stick-up man, Eric Campbell. Small world! Hmm. At Campbell's house, they find an answering machine message between him and Joey, setting up the incident for 3 o'clock. Gunshot residue suggests Becca was the intended target because after missing with his first shot, Eric moved closer to Becca to make the fatal shot. Okay, in the opening scene, there is this handsome detective walking around the dead bodies before passing it off to SVU, by the way. That's uh, Eric Palladino from ER. Yep. He's standing over at the register. The victims are both over there. Something spooked him. Witness says someone dropped the tape. Probably the little girl. He fires, hits the kid and the guy outside. All right, who shot him? Do you feel from time to time that they bring on a cop or a lawyer and put them out there conspicuously, like they're, they're giving them a test drive for a starring role or a spinoff series? <laughs> I My theory is actually that they have some sort of little contractual obligation with NBC that they haven't fulfilled with whatever they were doing in their previous job, which is why you occasionally see, like, you see a lot of ER mm-hmm. alumna just sort of, like, show up, alumni just sort of show up, like, for one episode, uh, for no reason. You have Alex Kingston, uh, who I think appears on this episode or another episode we watched recently. Sorry, I'm. Oh, yeah, she was an attorney in, in another episode. Yeah, yeah they, they, a lot of them come. Anthony Edwards. John Stamos yeah. was on the episode shortly after he was on um, uh, ER. Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> so it does feel like either an audition or a contractual obligation. I'm not sure which one it is. Kate, if you just started watching this episode and you didn't know that Eric Palladino was not a regular, you you would assume so, by the way he's sort of like taking over Comports the scene. himself? Yeah. <laughs> the camera's following him. Oh, absolutely. I, I would have thought he's just, you know, like eye candy, because everyone's pretty unattractive. Chris Maloney doesn't do it for me. I think that he was systematically brought on to have to be eye candy because he is somewhat attractive in like a menudo way. <laughs> <laughs> you mean he never grows up? Yes. <laughs> Just like Becca. No, oh, sorry. Oh, 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 she's going to hell. By the way, she wasn't the only casualty of that episode. How about the video store rentals? Like, what? you never see those anymore. <laughs> it's true. No. It's true. That might have been the death nail in the video rental. This was it. When, this they, was when, it. when they saw this episode, Blockbuster was like, that's it. We are shutting this shit down. Everybody's <laughs> like, yep. what? what is this red box that you're speaking of? <laughs> Yeah. I was like, who buys, who rents videos anymore? This is already off to a weird start. Yeah, you were taking your life in your own hands going into a video store. Hey, now we meet Missy uh, before, uh, she's, you know, before her adoption, her biological father abused her and passed her around. Is this little detail meant to throw us off the scent that, she, you know, she's really a victim and that she's not eventually going to be, as we know, the bad guy? I didn't see it that way at all. In fact, I could, that's the moment where I knew that she was involved. Oh, because <laughs> they tried too hard. Maybe I just know enough crazy people, but I thought, oh, this girl's so damaged. Some really weird stuff's going on. And why was she the one taking her right. to the video store? And also, she was quick to throw the stepfather under the bus. True. 
or, or the half whatever the adoptive father like yeah you know she was always a daddy's girl she was plants and stuff and i just thought she's got psycho eyes like i could just tell she was sociopathic by the way she looked and i felt like her acting was subpar i don't know where this girl came from but she definitely wasn't bringing the goods <laughs> now there are some crazy judicial decisions in this so just look at the one in the first half yeah. so the court orders the family that they cannot take Becca off of life support because the cops want to do a vaginal examination that's going to take, what, months Five to minutes. complete? <laughs> right. They're going to. We need the month of October to get this done. Little Jimmy in Philadelphia's life is on the line, which, by the way, that's not how organ donation works. Like, you do not know to whom you are giving an Never. organ. Like, that is not how it works yes. at all. All of the organ donation scenes in the show, I'm like... Dude, you had Eric Palladino on five minutes ago as an ex-cast member of ER. He could have told you guys this is not how it works. Like, everyone knows it's not how it works. But yes, the idea that they had to, like, you know, not take her off life support for this urgent thing that in every other episode, as you pointed out, takes five minutes and they do it on dead people all the time. Yeah. It was absurd. Totally absurd. I felt like that was the most exhaustive part of the episode. I just thought... Let's cut the shit. Just give her the rape kit. Let's go with it. And also, I have to mention, I was somewhat distracted in those scenes because the mother was played by Glynis O'Connor. Do you are you familiar mm. with her? No. She was in Boy in a Plastic Bubble, and I remember her distinctly <laughs> from the 1982 <laughs> hit movie Melanie about a young woman battling to regain custody of her son. <laughs> We are talking to a human IMDb right here. It is fantastic. <laughs> My God. So so she's pretty much had medical misery all of her television career. She plays the most fantastic, miserable person. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. Don't you feel like, too, she's the mom, right? Yes. This entire sort of conceit was set up for that, like, payoff scene where someone in every episode gets to turn to Mariska Hargitay. And at this, at this point, you know, Elliot also happened to be in the room and say... Do you have children, detectives? Do you have children, detectives? Yeah. <laughs> At which point we get the Mariska Hargitay, Olivia Benson, like, <sighs> plaintive, no, I don't. Right. And Elliot being all mansplaining, yes, I have 17. Yes. <laughs> so annoying. No one wants my uterus. <laughs> also, I didn't understand why the, the daughter's on life support, and I just felt like the parents weren't selling me on how distraught they were. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like, and I just felt like the mom was sort of like... Yeah, this sucks, right? Here's my kid. She's on life support. Let's blow this taco stand and get some burgers. I think I think Dan Loria brought it a little bit. He's a good actor, and he was. I think he did a good job in this show. I give him props for his uh, performance with the material he was given. Yes. Show. Well, we've already popped the cork on that, so let's get to it. We do have a couple of hey, it's that guys. Hey, it's that guy. Now we just had Dan Loria on our podcast two episodes ago. We didn't have him on. We had another you know, episode in which he, he was we, our hey, it's yes. that guy. He yes. was the chief on uh, Original Recipe. Of course, we know he's the dad from the Wonder Years. I think he was better utilized in this episode. Yep. That's enough. Turn it off. Turn it off! All right. Why? We loved that girl from the moment she came into our home. But I think there has there there has to be a nod to the Wonder Years in there that that Elliot uses the word scrote to describe somebody. <laughs> oh my God! What a gross word! So gross. You think that was a nod to the Wonder Years? Yeah, didn't the brother always <laughs> yes. call Kevin that? He did. Uh, yes, yeah. he did. Wayne. That was that was the brother's name. Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a dick. You mean he's a scrote? <laughs> yes. 
because you could say scrote then. Apparently, you can say dick on SVU now when you're talking about Last someone. Last night's episode had like three D-bombs. Oh, wow. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think you can just call a person that. I don't think you can refer to a member mm. as that. Yeah. But let's look at who we've picked for uh, this episode for our Hey, It's That Guy. Kate, can you give me the name of the actor who played crime scene investigator Bert Trevor? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't, I actually can. You know the name of the actor? I, I do know the name of the actor because I was so struck by his lack of New York accent in this tiny little oh. part. Mm-hmm. It's Daniel. I think his last name is pronounced Sinjata. Yes. Sinjata. Witnesses put Eric Campbell at the register when he demanded the money. He turned and fired, missed Rebecca, and hit John Markham outside the store. But when he fired the second time and hit Rebecca... He was standing here. He was on Rescue Me. He was Franco. And he's played lots of um, dopey boyfriend who, like, Reese Witherspoon-like characters leave for the soulful right. ex-boyfriend mm. types. That's his other archetype, besides being, like, New York, like, firefighter guy. But usually he has, like, a deep New York accent, and this episode he did not, and it was shocking. Weird. Yep. Yeah, he was. he's also been uh, more recently in Graceland and Notorious. He was on um, the original recipe Law and Order for one time, but he was on 16 SVUs as this crime scene tech. Mm. And, you know, I think if if he were to come back now, he'd have to come back like as a villain or a lawyer. You'd never see him come back and sort of just pick up that role as, you know, it's like, here, I pull this fingerprint <laughs> cool. for you. It's like, Well, that would be depressing. Like he never yeah. went up the corporate scale. <laughs> It's like, where have you been for 10 years? They you know? like, I mean, they, they've promoted B.D. Wong, you know, to a whole different like level. He's like in the FBI now or whatever. Yeah, they'd have to be promoted this guy, too. I mean, Cragen was a captain for 20 years, yeah. from, you know, so, you know, they, I guess it's, yeah, I guess it would just be sad, it right? Would be sad. You're like, it would be sad. It would be sad. Oh, Bert, good to see you. <laughs> yeah. It'd have to be some backstory like he got transferred to Staten Island yep. for messing something up. Yep. Or like, yep. oh, that's weird. You're still here. Sad for you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Mariska, so are you. So are you sorry. <laughs> oh, did you have you met anybody? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Do you have kids, Bert? <laughs> <laughs> So now to explain why they've missed all of this medical evidence in the Kurtz family, Cragen says, yeah, you don't know there's a trampoline in the room. You're not going to dust the ceiling for prints. So, <laughs> so weird. what does that even mean? So is he like the sex detective Buddha now? I don't know. I don't even know. It's, it's like something that Munch would say, you know, like it's like a throwaway line that was supposed to belong to someone else or that he made up like when they in the makeup chair and was like, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> they left it in. It made no sense. It made no sense. It was weird. It was very Dr. Phil. You know, I remember Dr. Phil. Yes. He said like, does a one-legged duck swim in a circle? God, he's so annoying, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is yes, though, right? Exactly. And he'd yeah. always talk yeah. about himself like a cowboy, Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah, he would. You, you're not, you are no cowboy. You live in Malibu with, in a palatial mansion with your wife, who has had so much plastic surgery, she no longer looks human. That's right. And you play tennis every day. So, no, you yes. do not know whether or not a one-legged duck swims in a circle. Yeah. What? And he's always talking about how he was an athlete, too. Yeah. When I was an athlete. I'm like, you can't even get on an elliptical. Who are you fooling? <laughs> well, he's probably never been on a trampoline, so you don't have to dust the ceiling for fingerprints. Oh, he would go right through the trampoline. He would jump up. He would go down. He would stay down. You get his head caught in the ceiling. He'd go right through the roof. Well, you know my, um, my theory that the actor who plays uh, Cragen ages backwards? Oh, like Benjamin Button? Yeah, so maybe like that was a saying that they used to have in the future. (laughs) It's bringing it back in time to us in his new younger form. Do you think he gets Brotox? Is that why? (laughs) Does he get Brotox? (laughs) 
I didn't know there was such a thing, but maybe that's why he's so wise now. He just like is, he just sits back and really zen, and like you know, he's getting like a a Korean pedicure and in, in you Gross. know some fish fish pond, some fish pond, yeah. No, oh. and he's just saying things like Yoda. That's pretty much uh, Christopher Maloney in real life, by the way. If you follow him on, on Twitter, oh, you know too. what I'm talking yeah. about. The guy does yoga I like 24 seven. If we look at all of the electronics in the bedroom of the dead shooter Eric Campbell. He really made a thousand dollars go far. <laughs> Between those TVs and the, I know he went to Crazy Eddie. There was a sale. I was going to say it must have been. He must have gone to Nobody Beats the Wiz, <laughs> right? For Black Friday. No, it was New York. It's got to have been Crazy Eddie. Come on, the prices are insane. insane. <laughs> yes, but you know what? He would have actually made a great profession if he had gone to that that office where they the woman was walking through with the file folders and just dropping folders off at all the desks. <laughs> I kept thinking, well, they need to go electronic. That is the worst office I've ever seen. So his electronics combined with the needs of that office, he could have prevented himself from shooting anybody and probably would have made a ton of money in life. I did love looking through the electronics in his room. He had the like the boom box, which yeah. is like <laughs> so great. But then one of the things that he bought with his like uh, kill for hire money mm-hmm. was an answering machine. <laughs> oh, that was a beauty. <laughs> I'm like, dude, your alcoholic dad doesn't have a lot going on, but that guy for sure has an answering machine. Who <laughs> yeah. didn't have an answering machine? Well, Back, he, like in the 90s, he spent the extra money to get the one that tapes the entire phone call if you pick up. <laughs> that was weird too. Yeah. Why was the whole conversation taped? The entire poor acted phone call (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. and it was very flat it was very monotone no one had any inflection in their voice even though they were discussing murder eric you there pick up pick up the phone hey joe i'm here got what you need yeah i got it what time three don't worry i'll be there (laughs) yeah well they're trying to keep it on the download it's like just in case somebody finds this tape we got to play it cool what should we do you know, show up at the place, do hey. the thing that we talked about. Hey, dude, do you have the money? What money? The money that you're going to use to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bad money. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, let me get on that. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and Internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary, and not guaranteed. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Yay. Joey Fields is arraigned, but his father, who's a hotshot lawyer, is confident they can't make a case uh, that his son masterminded the shootout. Meantime, her attorney says Missy will testify under one condition. What do you want? Immunity. Come on, we're giving you Joey Field on a silver platter. Are you sure she won't be too scared to take the stand? Not if it gets him the needle. We'll send you the paperwork. But no sooner than the prosecutors agree to the immunity deal do they find a videotape showing Missy convincing Joey to rape Becca, who is passed out on the bed. Now, surprisingly, Joey doesn't have gonorrhea, so Missy 
has been cheating on him. Joey says that Becca threatened to tell about the molestation. So Missy paid Eric $1,000 to kill Becca in the staged holdup, and Joey was to kill Eric to keep the secret. Well, they can't revoke the immunity deal, but a judge can. So Alex convinces Mr. Fields to argue, hey, man, that's just not fair. (laughs) To which the judge rules, eh, what the fuck? Deal revoked. Even after the Kurtzes are shown the videotape, they refuse to help the detectives. Cabot confronts Missy with the jewelry she hawked to pay for the hit job and says she's going to ask for the death penalty. But because Missy is a sociopath, she goes, meh, okay. (laughs) Mr. Kurtz asks Alex to spare his daughter's life, but she says that the law is the law, leaving the father to walk away crying. Mm. All right, so has a family ever been treated so badly (laughs) by this SVU squad? I mean, hey, maybe you gave your daughter gonorrhea. Mm. No, you can't pull the plug on her. Watch this videotape. Sorry, immunity? No more immunity. Thanks for your help. We're going for the death penalty. Yeah, I think the only family that was treated more poorly than this family was the poor family of real-life actress who played little Rebecca, who thought, oh, our daughter's just getting a little job on SVU. I know. What is so sick. And who then and watched this episode and realized what they did with their poor little actress daughter. Like, you know that family could not have known what they were signing their kid up for when they let her play this part. No, first of all, they did know because my friend had a daughter who was a child actress, so uh-huh. they need a parental escort. So the mother was waiting in the wings <laughs> oh, as they so filmed gross. that. So but I can see, I can just see the agent pitching it to them. Okay, it's great though. It's SVU, it's network, and all you got to do, two scenes, and you're lying down in both of them. <laughs> you have no lines. But you're going to get paid so, so much horrible. money. You're going to get shot, and you're going to get raped while you're sleeping and drugged. It's It was awful. But no, you're right. They read, back to your original question. This family got jerked around a lot, and there seemed to be 0% remorse for any of the jerking around that was being done. You were raising a sociopath. You didn't know that there was something going on with your six-year-old. You guys were asleep at the wheel. <laughs> it's true. I yeah. really didn't feel bad for them. I was like, you guys suck as parents, you dipshits. Yeah, scrote. <laughs> Scrotes. That's what they were. Now, at first, Missy's lawyer wants this full immunity because he says he's worried that the new DA, that hick Arthur Branch... <laughs> Over on Wednesday night at 10 on NBC, yep. he might uh, do some cowboy thing and come after her. Uh, Fred Thompson. Yeah, I like the name for... drop. How about you, Rebecca? Because you're a fan of all the franchises. I'm a fan of all the franchises. And, you know, now that I'm like, side note, listening to this podcast about Watergate called Slow Burn and hearing Fred Thompson, a.k.a. Arthur Branch, and these original tapes in the 70s and during the Watergate hearings, like... My mind is blown in so many directions right now, and I did love that little like nod to the guy that we know from the other show. I always I love it when they I love when they refer to McCoy in SVU. I love it when they refer to you know I love when this crossover when like um, you know detectives from regular Law and Order come over to help with. I love all of that. I love all of it. I can't help it. I haven't I haven't I haven't thought about Fred Thompson in a long time. Is that guy still alive? <laughs> no, he died. No, he passed I thought, away. Okay, he's dead. Do you remember how weird it was he had that much younger wife? Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. I was like, why are you with him? And then he ran for president. Yep. Didn't he run for president? I mean, it's such a joke. It, yes, because um we're in New Hampshire. We know what it takes for a politician to run for president. And you can't do it just on Thursdays, which is kind of what Fred Thompson did. He was like, yeah. But now, but Fred Thompson today would be like, Hi, that dipshit was on Celebrity Apprentice. I could have been president for exactly. sure. By the way, I, I didn't even tell you my background. 
before I did all this stuff, I represented for 16 years lawyers. I was a media consultant for global <laughs> law firms. So that's pretty funny. So uh, uh, I've been in legal world forever. And then the number two thing is I used to be a White House intern and worked um, yeah, on presidential campaigns. So this is a real full circle moment for me. <laughs> well, I guess we should have asked about the reality behind the reality queen. Exactly. Here. Exactly. Yeah. I thought you you just stayed home and took uh, funny pictures of uh, you and your kids. <laughs> no. I thought you just watched Alabama Shore, Florabama no. Shore, no. and made a podcast about it. <laughs> you go from the White House to Florabama Shore. I think she would have a step up, frankly. I went, yeah, I went from the White House to placing people in Wall Street Journal and uh, in New York Times and on CNBC to this you know, mess right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like all, all those years representing lawyers made me realize how to assess a crazy person from across the room. It's a skill that we could tap into in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, Park Avenue kid has a job at a video store. Oh, I know. I saw uh, bullshit So on that. dumb. So dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you, you see that? Like, you got to go and do something after school. Get yourself a job, son. At the video store. At the video store. Wait, well, the, the, the dad's like, I, you know, all this time, my, my son hates me. He hates you because he works at a video store. That's <laughs> yeah. why he hates you. You worked with a lot of lawyers. Did a lot of them, like, send their teenage sons off to work at Blockbuster? Or Hell no. Or they were like, you're going to work in the mailroom here because no way. you could someday inherit all no this. No way. They gave them very, very, very special lives. At the most expensive private schools, they did lift a hair no way and they all had dvds or blu-rays they did not have vhs tapes <laughs> and we're not talking about like a you know like a like a da these are people his father's supposed to be an incredibly famous what was he like a white collar criminal defense attorney or something yep he was just a hot shot yeah lawyer, there's no way in yeah. hell that guy with that ego would have ever let his kid work at a uh, video store no way there's also no way that that guy with that ego who i think they portray when they first introduce him as being like the very typical like parent who doesn't understand and like hates their kid or whatever turns out to be like super sympathetic super nice guy who is like just trying to like get the best deal for his kid and do a good job representing him and like doesn't isn't comfortable with the collusion with Alex Cabot and you know kind of wants to do the right thing. He comes off as like a super nice guy at the end. Yeah, which that wasn't believable. Isn't either. really in line no. with a fancy New York lawyer who makes it to Park Avenue. Park Avenue is not cheap, guys. It's not like living in the nice neighborhood in your town. It is a whole other league of places to live. Well, maybe that's why the kid needed this, this part-time job at the video store <laughs> to I help know. pay for that pad. Yeah, they got Somebody's got to have some cash to tip the doorman. <laughs> there was no doorman. It lived like in a brownstone. It's but, crazy. But they really think that, like, we're supposed to believe that no one's ever going to make the connection that the clerk is dating the girl in the store Thank who got you. and Thank the you. sister who got shot and was friends with the. Well, uh, let's take let's let's take it from the top. Why was there gunshots anyway? Because the six-year-old was making a lot of noise with some uh, VHS tapes or you know movie tapes. That made no sense from the beginning. <laughs> I'm like, well, the the detectives on the scene should have done some more due diligence. That made no sense. Right. Somebody dropped the videotape, so the shooter got scared. The whole plot was stupid. To hire people you know to commit a crime for you, it's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do. I mean, a psychopath would know that, right? A real psychopath would know that. Right, right. And why does the video rental owner have a gun underneath the register and at full access to the 19-year-old <laughs> sales clerk? I mean, honestly, I mean, how many $1.99 transactions can there possibly be to right. warrant uh, a, a firearm in the, the store? Yeah. I don't know. A lot of late returns, apparently. In that. <laughs> See, a lot were of you late kind fees. and rewind? <laughs> 
And then the other thing I kept thinking of, the couple in the front of the store, and she was sort of reaming her quasi-boyfriend out. Like, no, I can't do this anymore. What? Rent a movie? You and me. I, I told you I didn't want a serious relationship. You knew this from the start. You are such an incredible bastard. Hey, don't pretend like I didn't tell you this a month ago. <laughs> She said, you're an incredible bastard, which I've never heard anyone say. <laughs> and then he gets shot. And then I kept thinking at the funeral, clearly she's going to th- show up. Is she going to tell people at the funeral that their last conversation was her <laughs> confronting him on being such an asshole? Or is she going to be one of these typical people like he always had a zest That's for right. life? Yeah. He died doing what he loved, breaking up with me. Hey, one thing that we never really got to the bottom to is, you know, this important piece of evidence the videotape. Come on, Joey, do it already. What can we do? Can, can we just leave her and go? No, she is knocked out. She won't feel it. Missy, look. Okay, I don't want to. Okay. No, it is not okay. Why the hell were they videotaping themselves about <sighs> to this rape this younger sister? So they could have evidence to gross us out. I later. mean, was it like, hey, we're gonna make a Kardashian-style sex tape, Ugh, but it's gonna with be a child? Really freaking weird. I don't know. That was the part of the episode that made me sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really quite sickening, especially when you have kids. Um, I think that sh- the sociopathic ad- adoptee said, I want to torture this girl and I want evidence so I can watch it uh, because I'm so sick in the head. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, as, as, a, as a plot point, we're really not going to believe it unless we see it. So right. a, a videotape obviously is very convenient. Right. But again, there's an awful lot of VHS being thrown around in 2004. I can't, I can't believe we've so come this far. But they do the same thing in this episode that we've talked about before, where the sex detectives are watching evidence of a sex crime on a videotape. And just as it's getting to the sex crime part, they go, oh, I've seen enough. Turn it Turn off. Turn it off. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, it's literally your job to watch the bad parts. It's right. the only thing that you're being paid to do. It's a, that's why right. you make that money. You're there looking for the bad parts. And the rest parts. of us yeah. don't. Like, yeah. You have that job because none of us want it because you actually have to watch the whole thing. You can't oh. turn it off halfway through. But they always do it. Yeah, which is wrong because probably if in real life they probably get to that part and they start high fiving each other. It's like we found it. Yeah, well, I don't know about their high five. Not with this particular one. Ugh. Ugh, ugh. I can't even. I can't even. So we're not going to talk about how the sister gave the other sister no, chlamydia. No, I that was gonorrhea. That, that was that was that was a big gonorrhea. I had a big question yeah. about that. It was questionable. It was strange. <laughs> I thought about it and then I didn't want to think about it. Ugh. Let me put it to you this way: after the episode ended, Kevin, I turned to you and I was like. How did that sister give the other sister gonorrhea? And you tried to explain it to me, and I was like, and then we had like a conversation about it. And I'm like, we can never have this conversation ever again. It was so horrible. I think someone should be passing out a little pamphlet. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, and of course, at some point, Elliot comes in and he says, "Oh, I was, I couldn't sleep last night. I, I kept waking up to check on my kids yeah. to make sure no one was breaking in to give them the drip." So they get to that last scene and uh, Missy- Wait, 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 what? wait, wait. You can't go to the last scene without talking about the amazing appearance of Dr. Huang. Missy has flat affect, minimal insight, and no capacity for empathy. Her early childhood was severely traumatic. Without immediate intensive therapy, no way she could form healthy attachments. By the time the Kurtzes adopted her, it was too late. And his ability to diagnose somebody with, like, psychoses in, like, four seconds flat. Right. <laughs> Well, I don't think it's really that amazing Kate was able to do that. 
I know. I'm like, I could have told you that right off the bat. But I do love a good B.D. Wong appearance. I love Dr. Wong. I love him. And I love the fact that his real life name is B.D. Wong and his character's name is Dr. Wong. Yes. I love the whole thing because yeah. I know that I can't mess it up. You can't. Like I'm always calling Olivia Benskin Mariska. I'm always calling, you know, Maloney, Stabler. Like, I don't know. But I can just say Wong and it's going to like totally work anytime. I love everything about him. All right. So we get to that last scene. They're confronting Missy and she's says I think I'm supposed to feel sad scared I don't you can't kill me I'm already dead uh, that was a bit much. It was like, yeah, 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 dial it back, crazy pants. Yeah, it was a bit much. Pretty melodramatic, I think. I want to know what happened to this actress. I feel like I need to research this, but I'm going to guarantee you she got not many roles after this. You know who was actually already dead? Who? All the this- background actors all the background actors in the squad room, once again, who were just milling around, standing around, talking with each other, doing nothing, causing me to be so distracted from the, you know, action at hand that I could turn to you and I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> Why you, are they standing in the background? You think Ice-T ever spins around in his chair and he's like, man, the four of us are doing all the fucking work <laughs> in this Who are year. you? Who's the guy carrying? There's like that one bad cut where Munch is carrying a box into the squad room and like the way the scene was shot, we see him carrying the box to the door like three times, like clearly poorly edited and he's just doing, he looks like Munch doing a thing, but all the other background actors, like they are the ones who are already dead inside. They are the ones. I agree. I totally agree with you, and I find it fascinating that everyone has some clarity on the case at the same time. So it's two people are talking, and then one person walks through the door. Oh yeah, well how about this? And it's like by the end of it, it's like six people, and they've all figured the case out in under two and a half minutes. Now the the closing scene is when the father, played by Dan Loria, goes to Alex Cabot and Miss Cabot, can't can't you see how damaged Missy is? Yes. Yes, I can. Well, then why can't you just put her in prison? Because I have to follow the law. And the father walks away crying, mm-hmm. which is rarely a shot that we see, the, the pain of the perpetrator's family, uh, that they become victims of the justice system as well. And, you know, the camera just followed him down the stairs, you know, with his face contorted and crying. Did his tears at all make you wish that they would go easier on Missy for the sake of him and his family? Not on Missy, but I do wish they would go... I mean, I don't believe in the death penalty, straight up, but I do wish they would have gone easier on those poor parents. I mean, there was that scene in the show where uh, when Missy loses her immunity and all that happens, and then the mom is like, what could be harder than this? And I'm like, just you Just wait. wait till we show you this video. Too. I mean, yes, in the video of their uh, daughter raping their other daughter. I do like that they did that. I didn't think it was cool that Alex Cabot approached the dad to try to get him to cooperate against their own kid. Whatever the, someone's kid did, that's not a move you should do. Like You should not put parents in a situation where you're asking them to, to testify against or provide evidence against their own kid. That's not cool. I don't think it's cool, even if their kid is a psychopathic rapist slash murderer. Now, Kate, you did say earlier that you you know, you know thought that the family um, brought some of this pain on to themselves. When you think of that last, last scene, did that make you think differently at all? No, I felt, I didn't, I felt <laughs> zero re- sadness for that family. I feel like they were culpable. Um, I think they were asleep at the wheel and they have a lot to think about that they did not protect that six-year-old daughter. The signs were all there. What idiots. So now I don't feel bad for him at all. And I'll tell you what his tears were for. He's embarrassed that he spent a terrific career 
appearing on many of these shows and his last scene was with this horrible tween actress who overdid she overplayed scenes and he was sad about it he was like for the love of fucking god what am i gonna get after this my career's over yeah. <laughs> I, got, oh, I got paid the same as the wife who just sat there it's, and bitched yeah it's true yeah. glennis o'connor 1982 yeah. melanie a young woman battles to regain custody of her son check it yeah, out yeah and this is what makes me the saddest of all is that the mom on wonder years is on the bold and the beautiful now like she's no! so far yeah. oh god that's so sad Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode is based on the disturbing murder of Ontario teenager Tammy Hamolka by her older sister and her boyfriend. Paul Bernardo told Carla Hamolka he was obsessed with her 15-year-old sister, making Carla pretend to be Tammy when they had sex. On more than one occasion, the couple plied Tammy with booze and sedatives, then raped her while she was passed out. On Christmas Eve 1990, the drugged teen began to choke on her own vomit and couldn't be revived. Her death was initially ruled an accident. The couple continued their sadistic crime spree. Paul would hunt for teenagers to rape. Twice, they kidnapped a young girl, kept her tied in their basement, and videotaped themselves torturing her before killing her. Police matched Paul's DNA to a series of unconnected rapes outside Toronto from the 1980s. For a lighter sentence, Carla testified about the murders and Paul's rape of 30 women. Paul Bernardo was sentenced to life in prison. But those videotapes showing the couple as equal participants were kept secret from prosecutors, who said they never would have agreed to a plea bargain if they knew Carla Hamolka's true roles in the crimes. I remember that people were so confused by the case because they were attractive, this young couple. And then the other thing I remember is that one of the victims, she she missed her curfew and her mom locked her out of the house. So she heard the daughter knocking on the window and didn't answer. She was like, you know, you didn't follow the curfew and she was taken and got killed. My God. Ugh. I thought Canadians <sighs> yeah. were nicer than that. This is like the fourth one in a row that it's like some Ontario situation that we're dealing Note with. Note to self, never visit there. Well, this is one of those episodes where the real story is, is more disturbing than the fake one. <laughs> oh, for <one>. sure. <laughs> yeah, that was worse. You're, uh, and But the minute you talk, started talking about the case, I was like, yep, got it. Okay, I can see it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, there was no assassination of the uh, of the sister you know, still like the just the um, the the sadism that you know they went on this like Bonnie and Clyde yep. of uh, rape and torture. Spree. I don't think Bonnie and Clyde were like bank robbers. I don't think you it's didn't fair let me fin- you didn't let me finish them- my 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 <laughs> phrasing, Rebecca. Okay, go ahead. There were hyphens in there. It wasn't isn't Carla out of jail now? Yeah, I think she just got out pretty recently, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, Canadian press said that Carla had moved from Guadalupe, Guadalupe, mm, of course. Guadalupe. 
Well, it depends if you're you're from there. You no, know. Guadalupe is actually the name of the island. All right, all right. So Carla moved from Guadalupe with her new husband and three children to Montreal. Oh God! And right now she volunteers at an elementary school. <laughs> what? That's just outrageous. Now, Kate, I know that good childcare is hard to find, but if she were cheap enough, would you let her watch your kids? Oh, oh my God, I. Would torture that woman. I would torture that woman. <laughs> I have like no tolerance. I went to this boarding school in uh, Hershey called the Milton Hershey School. And essentially, mm-hmm. it's for kids that come from the wrong side of the door of opportunity. So you have to qualify if you're like from a single parent family. A lot of my classmates were like uh, raised in the inner city and their, one of their parents was either deceased or in jail or something like just the worst situations. There was a girl in high school in my student home. I threw a brush at her and it broke at the bottom and she took her her hands and like strangled me and held me against a door wow so yeah i have been up close and personal with people who have like some severe emotional issues and it all comes back to the parents and like what their kind of parents they were so i just have no tolerance for shitty parenting because when you're a shitty parent you create a crazy child and that crazy child goes on to become a parent and they have crazy I children. feel like maybe we've given you PTSD by making you watch this I episode. I think we have. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm so, uns- like, I'm such a brick wall to this stuff. Like, I don't take it, pr- you know, I, I've seen so much in my life where I'm like, the kids that I went to school with just had the worst situations. So... I just feel like people are shitty parents. They just are. And they there should be a license to have children. There really should be. I think it's interesting about the case, the real life cases. You and I wrote about a case where the girlfriend of a bad guy was complicit in a murder, right? Yeah. And the difference between that case and the one we wrote about, and the one we wrote about, I, you know, over the course of the research in the book, you know, really start to think of the girl as being a victim of the guy who, like, had this horrible obsession, controlled her, abused her, and made her complicit, right? Right. But these guys did it again. <laughs> and again. And again and again. Right. Yeah. And it yeah. does kind of make me wonder, looking back, like, when do you make that switch from victim to not victim anymore? Because obviously the justice system sees her as a victim, right? That's why they let her out. Yeah. What guy marries Carla? Can you imagine taking her back to meet your parents? <laughs> Listen, she hasn't been around for a couple years because she was in jail for murder. Like, what? Yeah, just 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 her sister and random people that she kidnapped. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really that bad. Like, oh, no big deal. Can you imagine the write-up for that wedding? Tell me about the couple. You know, John, we're still working finance. Carla was in jail for murder. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, she's looking for jobs babysitting. Oh. So if you know anything. Yeah. She loves kids. Loves to be around kids. Yeah, she posted something up at the uh, shop right and put it on the bulletin board. Like looking for <laughs> right. a really right. cheap uh, daycare. Just tear this thing. tabs yeah, at the bottom. Tab. Well, that's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Kate Casey. Kate, where can our listeners follow you? Well, first of all, you can go and find my podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, it's called Reality Life with Kate Casey. You can find me on Twitter at Kate Casey. My Facebook page, I've got uh, a page for my podcast, Reality Life with Kate Casey. And my Instagram is at Kate Casey CA. And I should note, in about an hour, I'm going to go imitate a picture of myself wearing an outfit Kim Kardashian wears. <laughs> oh, I love those photos. Is it the one with the champagne coming off your bum? Not that one. It's a outfit where she's basically wearing a sweat top and biker shorts with really hideous sneakers. And she's got a severe haircut and lots of makeup on. And it's just like a casual night for her. <laughs> Can't wait. That's it. Yeah. Now, Rebecca, that is a look that you sport. Where can people see you and tweet to you about it? Well, if they follow my Instagram at Reb Lavoie, they'll see none of that. But they will see a lot of my cold weather lifestyle in New Hampshire. They also can follow me on Twitter at Reb Lavoie. And, of course, listen to our other podcasts, HGTV and me. 
and Crime Writers on. Oh, and I have to say, I have to say, you've got to listen to my episode with Rebecca. We talked about Scientology, and it's one of my favorite episodes. We went deep diving. Can't wait. Can't wait. Well, that's plenty of things to put in the uh, listening queue, I guess. <laughs> you can tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy and Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. To get ad-free episodes of these other stories a week early and other exclusive content, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime to start your free trial. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter and a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in Studio C and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.